time enough at last. Submitted for your consideration to sci-fi fans, Sean Majors and Keith Conrad. Rewatch The Twilight Zone from beginning to end. It's like something out of that Twilighty show about that zone. Witness Mr. Henry Bemis, a charter member in the fraternity of dreamers. A bookish little man whose passion is the printed page, but who is conspired against by a bank president and a wife and a world full of tongue cluckers and the unrelenting hands of a clock. But in just a moment, Mr. Bemis will enter a world without bank presidents, or wives, or clocks, or anything else. He'll have a world all to himself, without anyone. Episode number eight of The Twilight Zone was uh, Time Enough at Last, our namesake. And uh, here we uh, are. Sean, I believe this is another tale of social distancing taken to its logical conclusion. There's almost too much social distancing in these first eight episodes. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that was going to end up being a, a theme, but but it, it kind of is. It, it's kind of uh, kind of eerie that we were watching uh, these episodes while we were uh, going through all the uh, the COVID nineteen social distancing. Because I kind of identify with with some of these characters. Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, I've I've mentioned before that uh, you know Rod Serling he he tended to to like creating stories where good people got their their just rewards and and bad people got you know what was coming to them and uh this is one where that kind of doesn't happen yeah but, not this time uh you you've got a guy who's who's relatively good and and i'll 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 get into why I say relatively and <laughs> here, but he he really does kind of meet a a terrible end at least as far as we know yeah um and uh it's one worth pointing out that um uh this is uh the the episode was number five on tv guides 100 uh memorable moments in television and uh of the 156 episodes rod serling wrote 92 and he says this was his favorite yes yeah it's um and you know what like i said last week that uh um, the Lonely was my favorite in the first seven. Clearly, yeah. this one knocks it out of the park. This is my favorite as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that uh, everybody... Uh, I, I think everybody kind of knows this one, even if you don't know The Twilight Zone. Yeah. It's, and, um, uh, it's, it, uh, if you saw Twilight Zone, the movie, uh, it's it's one that's referenced in there. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Um not not Dan Aykroyd. Albert Albert Brooks uh, talks about like the uh, like buying a second pair of glasses or something like that. Yeah, and and I bet there were probably people who did that. <laughs> uh, so so when we uh, when we when we get into the story here, uh, we've got uh, Henry Bemis, who's a a bank teller. Which um, you know, since it's in the fifties, he's a bank teller, but he's he's wearing a suit all the time. Uh, which which. Again, it's another thing that kind of jumped out at me. Of course. Uh, just just the different world that people were living in in the 1950s. And um, he's, uh, first of all, he's, he's, not, he's not doing his job correctly. And, and this is where I get into, you know, he's mostly a good guy. But, mostly. Uh, you know, like he, he's reading at work, so he's not doing his job correctly. And then after that... He just puts the little thing in his in his window that says "Go to the next next window," mm. and just starts reading again. 
and uh, I understand why why um, uh, you know why his boss isn't too happy about that. Yeah, that makes sense. And maybe this is uh, maybe this is uh, the beginning of the collapse of uh, the banks everywhere. Is Henry Bemis? Maybe because like one person couldn't complete a transaction, that's why the nuclear bombs fell, and that kind of um, butterfly effect. Maybe that's what happens later on in the episode. I, I think it could very well be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a deposit isn't made, so a vendor doesn't get paid, and then production uh, falls behind in a uh, you know in a, in a Department of Defense uh, yeah. uh, uh, vendor, and then nine steps down the down the ladder, nuclear war. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that that makes a lot of spe- uh, a lot of sense. <laughs> so, so I can understand why uh, uh, his boss is basically like, "Why are you reading while you're on the clock?" and, and <laughs> very upset about that. But he, he actually seems to like take issue with the idea of reading just in general, which I thought was kind of funny. It's a completely like appropriate thing to tell your employee, but he's made to be a villain because he doesn't like reading. Yeah, that that's uh, something that I, it's uh, it's a little strange, but uh, so so then he goes home, and you know, in, in an earlier episode we were talking about uh, uh, the escape clause, and uh, Ethel and Walter Bedecker about you know what what do you think the dating experience was like for them, and you know how did they end up together? Oh, man. And I, feel, I feel the same sensation about uh, Henry and Helen Bemis. I mean, it, you know, not not only like. Okay, so he's a jerk. So you want you know Walter Bedecker's a jerk. So you wonder what Ethel saw in him. Helen Bemis like really just seems to like completely hate Henry. Uh, yeah, Henry's a, a shrinking violet, and he has a terrible last name. What was Helen's option? What were Helen's options then? If if Henry Bemis is the go to guy, yeah, I, I I mean, did did he? I I do appreciate the the you know, kind of alliteration with their names, Henry and Helen. So maybe, maybe that's what she was thinking. Hey, that's, that's what, that's what it is. <laughs> that That's the only thing I can think of because she just, you know, it, as you said, he's a shrinking violet. So I, I don't get the sense that he necessarily has anything uh, against her, but she really seems to hate him. I do. Um, I do appreciate in the same way that like um, last week when we talked about the lonely uh, Jack Warden, probably, uh, you know, it was a very 50s things to say, give my regards to Broadway. Um, yeah. Helen Bemis introduces the word into my vocabulary, doggerel. Yeah, I, I think that. Um, Which I assume just means trash or. Yeah, I, I think that was the first time I had ever heard, had ever heard that, and and yeah, that that's basically uh, what what dog roll is supposed to be. <laughs> and uh, but uh, I mean, she she goes out of her way to to like almost almost torture him because she like finds a, a book and just like scratches out all the words. <laughs> She's made out to be a villain for no reason, in the same way Billy Zane is in Titanic. That, that's actually a, a, a good comparison. There's yeah. no reason for her to be a villain aside from the fact that we need the audience to dislike Helen Bemis. Yeah, we, we need to really hammer home the fact that Henry Bemis's life kind of sucks. He's got it so tough. Just that yeah. nagging wife, that classic late 50s nagging wife. The, the nagging wife and the uh, the employer who doesn't want him to read at work. Which, <laughs> The employer who I think was in Psycho, I think he was like, uh, 
what's her name's boss uh you know that could that could very well be he looks very familiar um and for some reason i think he was also i think he was the guy from like the grand the grandfather from the mask like the the uh, twilight zone episode masks uh, yes I, I might be wrong on that though I think everybody uh, just looks like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was Vaughn Taylor, and he was in fact in Psycho. Oh, nice. Um, he uh, he was also in uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Ooh, okay. So he was he was around. Looks like he was uh, he was a pretty good uh, character actor in movies and TV for uh, for a while there. He died, passed away in 1983, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, but I mean, he he wasn't exactly a young looking guy. He wasn't like Ron Howard. <laughs> so you know it's probably not uh out of the uh out of the you know it's probably not unreasonable to say that uh you know he was probably going to have passed away by now of course um so i i just don't understand why why helen seems to hate him so much and seems to hate the act of reading so much. Reading is so villainized <laughs> in this, in, in this uh, by people that we're meant to dislike. Um, so I guess, you know, it's, it, it's a value that, uh, that uh, Rod Serling is trying to put out there. Yeah, I wonder if, if that was, if, if he's like trying to, um, try, try to get people you know, excited about reading or if, if literally he's just, all right, what can I, what can I say? That's, that's going to be fairly harmless that people can hate him for. Yeah, exactly. I still want them to really like him and really be rooting for him, but I need all these other people around him to hate him and make his life miserable. Reading. I got to tell you, even like ever since you, I mean, like I, I, saw it in in the episode but ever since you really focused on the uh next window please when he's on the clock yeah i I don't like the shifty layabout i'm team helen yeah yeah i like i i absolutely 100 percent get why the boss doesn't like him because that that jumps out at me right right at the beginning it's like who do you think you are you're just putting the next window sign up while you're while you're on the clock you can't do that god and and and, uh to uh actually just sit there and read you know, like it's one thing if if he like uh, you know the boss is complaining about him going to uh, the the vault to read. Well, yeah, it's one thing to do that. You know, in your in your lunch break or something. Of like, course, who's the, who's the boss to say you can't you can't do that? You know, I mean, I I read I, I brought books when I worked at a movie gallery, R.I.P. Right. Um, but uh, you know, when when somebody wanted to rent uh, Brokeback Mountain or Con Air, of course, um, then I'm gonna. That was way before my time at Movie Gallery. <laughs> Con Air. Uh, <laughs> I was a 13-year-old <laughs> working at Movie Gallery. Um, you know, you put the book down, you get to work. Yeah, and uh, um, yeah, so so again, just to, to hammer it home, I understand why the boss is going to be upset about him reading. Totally give him a pass on that. Uh, but Helen, it, it, it seems just cruel. And I, I will point out that... Uh, so, so I mentioned that, you know, she like marks out this, this book of poetry and, uh, you know, it's, it's really hurtful to him. And when he's, uh, uh, what then in addition to having already marked it up, she decides to start tearing it up. Monster. And, uh, she's a monster. <laughs> and while she's doing that, uh, Henry is like, like 
gets down on the floor and is like trying to pick up the pieces and his glasses fall off. So clearly at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, uh, he really did this to himself because he knew that the glasses were ill-fitting. Yeah, get one of those things that the frat boys wear for their sunglasses. Yeah, to- yeah and, and if he if he actually was diligent and checked with his optometrist regularly to make sure his glasses fit correctly, none of this would have happened. So it's all his fault. So once we get to the to the to the main thing that happens in this, do you think? that happens because they've fallen off his head so many times because they look like they're pretty those are coke bottle glasses those are pretty structurally sound they're they're pretty structurally sound but i i assume that they probably have it probably happened all the time because they are uh, indeed coke bottle glasses so they're probably like really front heavy and you got this soda jerk of a wife who's ripping up all your books so you got to pick them up Exactly. Yeah, you got to do that a lot. So I, I would imagine that they've been falling off his head a lot. He knew <laughs> that was going to happen. You don't want to be caught unprepared when there's a random nuclear war. On God no. And that's exactly what happens to him because he, he's down there. And um, th- so one thing that always struck me as kind of weird is they they do this scene where uh, he's he's looking at the newspaper that says hydrogen bomb can destroy entire city. <laughs> and then he puts the newspaper down, and for some reason, the 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 book he also had with him like flips open, and his the glass on his watch breaks, and yeah. then through the bomb. And I'm just not sure what that's supposed to signify. It reminded me of like the um, <clears throat> the the cup of water in Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. I can um, see as being like a, a harbinger of like, you know, cause I guess the shock waves hit. Um, but again, you know, like the, the name, the name, the name of this podcast, the name of the episode time enough at last, it's kind of a, a foreshadowing that like, if the watch breaks, you know, the, you know, I guess time breaks when, when this happens, time, time stands still. And, uh, we see what happens when he exits the, the bank vault. Yeah, um, they they actually. This is one of the episodes where um, instead of having a, a narration necessarily at the beginning, uh, oh, there there is a narration at the beginning, but uh, there's also a mid episode narration. Yes, yeah, that that always jars me. It's very it's very weird when that happens. Like, hi, I'm Rod Serling. I'm back, <laughs> uh, and he kind of mentions that uh, you know. Uh, well, he actually says seconds, minutes, hours. They crawl on hands and knees for Henry Bemis because there's no point. So, I mean, they're not actually crawling on hands and knees. They're not crawling at all because there's no clocks to keep the time. It's it, it's very um, – I think this is the first episode that actually really scared me. Um, like the ending terrifies me. Yeah, I I could see that too. It's it, it's it's terrifying. Like the great tragedy of this isn't that the world has died in nuclear war, but it's that we'll see that Burgess Meredith is going to be bored for the rest of his life. Yeah, well, and and it's interesting because he is bored, and he realizes he's going to be bored for the rest of his life, uh, and then he he just happens to, uh, in his wanderings, go to the public library. And uh, and then suddenly he's not going to be bored anymore. Yeah, and uh, he's got he's got plenty to do. He's got years and years of things to do, and uh, and then he decides to you know sit down and and his 
His heavy Coke bottle glasses fall off and break. And now he's going to be bored again for the rest of his life. It's it's so dark because, like, even before he finds that library, like, he, he puts a gun to his head. Right. Yeah. It's it's a little like, uh, you know, in the very uh, – no, it's the second episode where uh, the little girl gets hit by a truck. And it's like, wow. I never – you know, stop and think about this. Like, there's some really dark stuff going on here. Gets hit by a truck and then uh, convalesces in her – home yeah, in, in minutes, hour. <laughs> but it's it's like you know just loneliness and isolation has been like uh, across these first eight episodes uh where is everybody the lonely uh and then this of course time enough at last it's just you know it's been the theme in very different ways to tell that story and using different devices and just having having that you know lack of entertainment again like the lack of entertainment is the tragedy here it's not mad max raiders that are going to come and murder you it's i i can't read anything because i can't see anything yeah and and that's all he wanted out of life it's it's nuts and my god can we talk about how incredible burgess meredith is oh yeah he's he's amazing not just in in this episode but uh you know, every Twilight Zone episode he was in, and it was it was quite a few. And I mean, really, just every everything the did. Penguin. I, he's Mickey and in, in, in Rocky, uh, grumpy um, old man, and probably grumpier old man, right? Oh uh, yeah, I think I think he's in that <laughs> one too. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah, he's he's incredible. I I I love Burgess Meredith. He's also the um he's the narrator in that in the Twilight Zone movie too. Uh, he is, and uh, yeah, I I don't think that. Uh, and and by the way, I just checked on the internet. Yes, he is in fact in uh, Grumpier Old Man. Oh, thank God. <laughs> um, which might have been one of his last roles, actually. Um, yeah, it's got to be. Uh, yeah, he. Uh, in, in the the one that I'm watching because I'm I'm not watching on uh, on Netflix. I'm watching it uh, through other means. And they actually show like the promos for the next episodes at the at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and even he mentions uh, Serling mentions, um, you know, one of the one of the best actors you know in the business is uh, agreed to join us. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, this is just it's it's this is the most iconic episode I think. Uh, you know, in, on on Wikipedia it says. Uh, you know, like a one of the many polls that they did for Twilight Zone magazine, uh, which episode they they remembered the most. Time enough at last was the most frequent re- response with "To Serve Man" coming in a distant second, and you know it just has that all is the one of the most iconic all is lost moments. Um, I mean, I remember seeing this parodied in Futurama and Family Guy, yeah. and I'm like, I get that, I get that reference. <laughs> well. I'm not sure this is going to make you feel any better or worse. Oh no! <laughs> but I mean, they, you know, whenever I was watching it previously, I had always thought, oh, you know, now he's going to have to, you know, he's going to have to struggle to survive, you know, with his uh, with his boredom and everything. Yeah. Or maybe, or maybe he does, you know, decide to kill himself, and then I realized, um. Yeah, all the food he's eating is irradiated. He's probably going to be dead in three days anyway. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna either grow a second head or like die of thirst in three days. 
years. Yeah. So, you know, really, he's probably going to be miserable for whatever life he has left, but it's probably not going to be very long. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's a bright side or not, but, uh, that's, you know, as uh, as I as I said, I think at the beginning, it sort of flies in the face of the the, the normal convention yeah. of good people. Yeah. Uh, you know, getting their reward and bad people getting what's coming to them. That, that's probably why it sticks out so much because, you know, we meet this guy, we're rooting for him. Uh, you know, we're like, Hey, look, he's, he's finally going to get, uh, going to get the chance to, to read everything. And then, uh, and then it's all taken away from him. It's tough, man. It's tough. It, it, it is. And I, I wonder if, if that has something to do with the fact that, uh, this was, uh, this was a story by somebody else that that Rod Serling adapted. Oh, really? So I wonder if um, you know if that's why it had a uh, had such a such a dark ending. Yeah. If 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 Rod Serling was like, "Hey, watch what I can do here." <laughs> Gosh, it's a good one. And uh, next week, also one I come to think of it with a bit of a dark ending, uh, perchance to dream. Yes. I'm looking forward to talking about that because um, it's going to be uh, it's one of the ones that I've actually skipped a whole lot of time. So I, it's something that I'm going to really have to watch very closely. So have I. It's one that I've skipped. But when you actually when you actually get into it, it's 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 a pretty good episode. Absolutely. The best laid plans of mice and men and Henry Bemis. The small man in the glasses who wanted nothing but time. Henry Bemis, now just a part of a smashed landscape. Just a piece of the rubble. Just a fragment of what man has needed to himself. Mr. Henry Bemis, in the Twilight Zone. Gabatron?